This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Ruben. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? It's been so long. Oh, my God. It's been, it's been a hot minute, hasn't it? Oh, I'm glad think... we're getting back into it. I've definitely oh. missed, missed you and missed chatting. I, I don't like <laughs> going so long. I think I don't even know what our audience thinks when we stop putting out shows. They must understand that you're super busy, right? <laughs> Maybe they don't care I, You know us. what, though? It's, I, felt, I still feel like we. this is such a joy. It's. A, I mean, I love what we get to talk about. I love our guests. I love, you know, the conversations that we get to have. So I, I just, I actually feel quite lucky to do this. Um, we, that just means I, I need to be more, uh, more mm. regular on scheduling t- time so we can, can keep this going. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I guess I'm okay with the sort of oddly random nature. Are it, you? It, well, sort okay. of. It fits. It does flow into our lives in these funny ways because you kind of retouch base when something has happened, maybe, or yes. when time is. You know, obviously time goes by and we do all kinds of things. I've had a. I mean, God, it's been months. I've had a, a busy summer. It's the end of summer. I know you. You so you had all those workshops. I think last time we talked, we had actually talked. Um, about a lot of the workshops you had coming up. And so now they're all behind. I know that the Santa Fe ones went really, really well. Catch me up. (laughs) Well, gosh, how many things have happened here? I I, I just finished the summer, the Santa Fe workshop summer, and that was fun. Both my workshop, which was really great. And um, I've been, you know, uh, more uh, other people's workshops end up availing themselves of the of the collection here. So they come over. It's usually a field trip for different people's classes. Oh and, my gosh, that's so fun. And it, what it does is it gives me a, a fun assignment usually. So like, who's this teacher? So uh, Gino Mille came in um, uh, maybe a, a few sessions ago and okay. he's doing, and he, uh, I mean, he does many cool courses, but he was doing a, a landscape workshop. So he came the day before, a couple of days before, and he and I had this joy of digging through drawers and finding interesting landscapes. Like just that, like that's an assignment. Can you pull out all the fun landscapes, John Sexton and Ansel Adams, and you know, you just you're kind of like a research librarian. You know, you realize that, right? You is know, that what like that the, is? The, yeah, yeah. That just get so excited on having an assignment of like pulling resources. Like that's that. This is awesome. This is so cool. <laughs> it is cool. And then and then by contrast, like a week later, Kate Brakey was in and. Um, her workshop was in hand coloring. People were painting oh, photos. So her her question was like, what do you got that's hand colored? Now that's an interesting question. I never really sliced the, that kind of content out of the collection. So I would dug around and there's some like amazing, you know, old Yulesman's where he tested doing one thing. And how, uh, and how do you hand color? I know there's a lot of techniques, but for example, what did Yulesman do? Yulesman was um, actually a, doing toning. He had like a toning ex- experiments he was doing in the late sixties and maybe early. So 70s. is that with chemicals? Are you painting on yeah, the chemicals? Yeah, you're kind of painting on a color, and it has a. It's not like it. It absorbs in in a different way as opposed to sitting on the surface. It kind of okay. colors differently. But I I saw 
um, some of the the Czechoslovakian artists, and in fact, uh, Kate uh, Brakey was is using a kind of a combination of oil oil things and um, pencil colored pencils and stuff like okay. that. They look great. I mean, they look really cool. But there's you know, you have to take into account the way the colors sort of soak in, for lack of a better word. And, and digital papers that you do inkjet prints on are going to handle these things completely differently than uh, silver prints. And that so, makes sense. Yeah. So, the, so the collection is silver prints, and then there are things that are toned and painted and, and other stuff. Uh, her class was just, kind of, I suppose, getting inspiration, looking at the history of this stuff. But I, for me, I just like the assignments. I, I guess that is like a research librarian, isn't it? Like, what, <laughs> what, what's, a, what's a weird way to slice this? Like, oh, let's just find portraits. Let's just find exactly whatever and, and pulling them out. Um, and maybe the high point of all that was um, last week, uh, Darius Himes came by. And I don't, I don't know if you know Darius. That's quite but, a famous name, isn't it? That he is. He's, the, he's the international head of photography at Christie's. And, wow. And I just, you know, the most valuable photos ever sold were sold by him recently. There was a Man Ray, which was really rare, and a Steichen that I think sold for, I'm not looking at the numbers, maybe $12 million, like an astronomical oh, number for a photograph. Yeah. And, and of course, I, I have a couple Steichens here and I- there's like delusions of grandeur that happen when you see a, <laughs> you're like, do you want to just come by? When you see when you see an auction like that, and so you know your picture isn't worth anything like that, but there's this little thing in the back of your brain which is like, would you look at this and just make tell, like tell me show. explain to me why it's not that picture? And of right. course, Darius uh graciously came by and, and looked at the the Steikens and other stuff. We had a good time kind of digging around. And no, of course, my Steichen isn't worth anything like that. Actually, <laughs> just, what a great I mean, what a great premise, though, is like, why is this not like that? Mm. You know, I mean, even as just like a, a comparison of like, okay, take, let's take a classic, maybe one of your classic pictures from the, you know, from the collection. And then you would have students bring in maybe something that felt like that or that felt, mm -hmm. you know, to them. Maybe it is a similar composition or a similar content, or maybe it's just a feeling, but then having that, that juxtaposition as just the foundation for a conversation, not saying like, not going to the point of like, why is your picture not as good, but just well, saying like, how maybe what are some of the things that are different as you're starting, as you have a sense that they're similar well, where, um, can we talk about the differences? Yeah. Well, the thing that becomes clear when you get a professional like Darius looking and while you're talking about pictures yeah. is that it's so not really about the image. It's not, this is a great photograph. It's not that you beginners should emulate this picture because it sold for $12 million. So it must be the greatest photo and you should do that. Like, is it about not, the prominence? Like, is it about like where it's been? Who's it's, about the it, it's about the object. That huh. object, like the story he told me about the the Steichen that they sold, was that you know Steichen only made three prints of this thing, and they're all owned by the Museum of Modern Art. And basically, they discovered a fourth that was maybe in the family's possession. They didn't even know they had it in a in a book or whatever yeah. it was. And it's like that's really rare. It's a rare thing, mm. and it was an original print. You know, so the the Steichen that I'm looking at is a like the image looks the same. It's a good quality printed by Steichen and signed all that stuff, but it was done in the fifties and he had printed it for a magazine. So this is the print that was used to make the image that was in a magazine. And it's, and I don't know 
other things about it, but like it's a it's not vintage. It was done a little bit later. Uh, mm-hmm. Every every print by some of these great photographers has got its story. You're right. It's the provenance. Yeah. And that's what matters. Like you have a, a letter from him. It's got a note on the back that it was to his daughter for her birthday or whatever the thing is. That's the thing. People who collect photographs as a value proposition are trying to find rare things, uh, museum things. And it's almost it's almost never really about the photograph, the image on the thing, because um, there's lots of beautiful images and 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 there's that historical context that says, you know, back in the 1900s, people didn't take pictures like this. So it was unusual. But if you went Bye. out in the 70s and took that same picture and it looked exactly the same, it's not, it doesn't matter. Now everybody's shooting that kind of thing, whatever that thing is. So yeah. being early, being first, inspiring a bunch of people, um, and then the original print matters you know, more. And, and so I, I've got a kind of a new way that I'm even looking at my own collection here, which is sort of the pictures that have rarity, that they're uh, objects that are historic objects. And that's a separate way to slice the photographs that I just love, that I want to put up on the wall, that I, I could stare at all day. And that has no regard for their value. That's just pictures you love. And, and when I teach photography, I'm I'm far more interested in the, just the pictures that are great photographs that can teach you something about photography. And they're not about the history of photography. They're not, it doesn't matter their pedigree or their vintageness or yeah. their originality. They're yeah. instructive, visual instructions about how you compose and how you like, how things can be lit and, and how emotion is reflected in this. Uh, and that can teach you something. So I, I do make that distinction, but I haven't done it well in the past. And I think after talking to Darius Himes, I'm sort of born again, re-dividing up the, the collection by the things I love that I want on my walls and the things that are historic and need to be treated differently and, and experienced differently. Yeah. So that's sort of, I don't know, that happened. That was a, <laughs> that was an interesting. That's, epiphany. I think that's a- it's really fun. I mean, and I, it's, it is also, yes, uh, a, a learning epiphany. <laughs> oh, I got it. Like, I, I'm looking at this very differently now, especially when you're so focused on really the content. I mean, I think that's what you've spent so much of your attention doing is really, mm-hmm. you know, ab- absorbing and digesting and finding different frameworks to sort of look at photography and what makes it good, but good as we find in life, good does yes. not necessarily equate, you know, expensive or, you know, um, uh, mm, how do I want to say that? Good does not necessarily e- e- equate like the, you know, a, a, a rare valuable. Or, yeah, it's yeah valuable. I wanted to say valuable, but then it's still like that didn't quite seem the right word. But well, yes, and also no, good and good is fuzzy too. I mean, there's no good. There's lots of good. But I think because now everyone has a camera and everyone's taking pictures I'm more interested in connecting them to what I consider good photography and yeah. not concerned about famous or important or historic photography. Yes. Um, we can learn a lot from looking at an Ed Weston picture, but but in many cases, he's important and maybe not something you just emulate. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It's like that yeah. isn't maybe teaching you the same things. So uh, I don't know. It was, it was a 
a very photographic summer, let's just say a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of thinking and talking to people, uh, but it was also a haiku. It was also a haiku summer for me, uh, just because. Remember, my book came out at the beginning yep. of the year. Congratulations again! Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. I was happy about that. I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad it's done. We talked about this on the show for years, right? That I was <laughs> going to do. It. Okay, and then. Um, uh, it got reviewed in, like, I haven't been reviewed in any sort of photographic things, but it had a book review in Frog Pond, which mm -hmm. is the, the journal of the Haiku Society of America. They they really liked the book. They felt it was important, et cetera. That, that was life. That was super cool for me. Like, I may not be making waves in photography, but I'm certainly starting to make waves in haiku a little bit. And yeah. I got asked to write an article for Presence, which is the haiku journal of the, I think it's the British Photographic Society. And um, in writing that article and kind of digging in and getting sort of edited by the haiku editors of the journal, um, I learned even more about haiku. And that was- yeah. You know, I'm always nervous. The more you learn, I'm always waiting for like something to come up that makes me sort of throw this entire theory out, you know, yeah. that it's like, oh, that's what haiku is. But actually it continues to reinforce the feelings that I had. And and, and I'd say the, the most general of those was that um, it, it was suggested actually that haiku isn't so much a form like a limerick or a sonnet where you do, you have a very rigorous form even though it seems like that, they consider it more of a genre and that, mm. that allows it to be a little fuzzier around the formal elements. And my observation was, I mean, people have said that like making a photo a haiku or calling a photo haiku is, is contrived. It's a contrivance. That's not like that. You can't make a photo a haiku because haiku is haiku and a photo is a photo. And to pretend like you're going to follow those rules, you're making up kind of the rules, but I just but, feel like it's a device, though. It's a framework. It's well, not but, like... But it's, it's more than that because even a haiku in English is a contrivance. Like that's another sort of variation of the rules of haiku because haiku is very much about these Japanese sounds and this musicality and stuff like that. You just aren't really going to have that combined with sort of a strict... It has a kind of a strict form in Japanese that mm -hmm. you just can't really do it in English and that's fine. You have English writing haiku poets, but I'd say the contrivance of writing a haiku in English is is about comparable to making a photograph a haiku or seeing it that way. They're both yeah, I... variations on a theme. They're both genre related as opposed to a strict formal thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I do. I, I can see that comparison. I also just maybe I'm taking issue with the word contrivance. I mean, that's that's using a skill to bring something about or to create something like everything that we do that is creative is effectively a contrivance. I know that has a sense of, you know, kind of artificiality that goes with that, but the, the whole thing is like, it, it you know, that is to, of course it's a contrivance. I'm creating something. <laughs> hmm. You know, that's interesting. As, as we talk about contrivances, I was also a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend who came over with a pinhole camera. Have you mm -hmm. used a pinhole camera? The, the, I did. I remember making one when I was probably yes. in like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. It's very cool device. And it's so simple. It's got no lens. It's got yeah, a tiny yeah. little hole. And of course, the smaller the hole, which is the F-stop basically, the more everything is in focus, but not very much light goes in. So you have these long exposures. And yeah. I started you know, watching how that was being done. And you basically have a 
a bunch of calculations you have to make. You sort of look at the light in the room. You have a like a table of trying to mm-hmm. figure things out. And it's like, oh, this is a 30-minute exposure and blah, oh, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it reminded – and when I started looking back at some of the classic photographers, uh, so many of them are using large format, like a giant box cameras with – you know, that, that also are not – automatic that also require you to do mathematics of some kind you're, you're sort of calculating what your exposures and the, you're measuring the distance to the subject and you're measuring- it's kind of like scuba diving like you have to calculate how yes. much like how much air you have when you're at that depth it's like yes. how much light do you do you need to get into this photo it's and exactly yeah. like that it's exactly like that and you can argue that it's way better to have a dive watch that just gives you the calculation. You don't have to take the yes. chance of messing it up. You could die. But for photographers, a lot of them enjoy that process. There is a yeah. kind of a risk, a, a scary risk that you don't know what you're going to get. You're mm-hmm. guessing, you're working out your stuff on paper, then you take the picture and then a while later you get it back. And there's a kind of magic in that that goes away when you're using a 35 millimeter camera that automatically sets the exposure or or even just lets you focus and decide if it's in focus while you're looking at. I mean, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. things that, you know, we've incrementally made it more accessible and I'm always into democratizing something, but at the same time, we're lowering the effort, we're lowering... Um, all the the stuff that, that that goes into the the talent that's required to do it, you're making it. So on one hand, you're making it more democratized, and on the other hand, mm-hmm. are you killing the art? Like some people probably would disagree that like if you can take it with a, a an automatic 35 millimeter camera, that's nothing like the experience of having a a camera, an eight by ten camera, where you're measuring distances and you're calculating exposures and taking chances. And putting, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, a little bit more. And yeah. so you wonder how much, like, for something to be art, and that's a very broad term, but for something to be art, maybe it requires a certain, not just a certain amount of craft and talent, but also effort. And if you simplify the effort and you make it more accessible, you push it down to a point that it's not, it's a different thing. You know, maybe you can't say it's not art, but it, these are always yeah. relativistic ideas, right? It's like yeah, and I guess I think for art, for me, the thing that is that is crucial that you need to have a point of view, mm-hmm. and you need to have a, a perspective. You need to be saying, you know, something. Um, and so I, th- I think that's key, and I think that that can be done with a thirty-five millimeter. But you think you without actually, effort, you think with no effort, you can. I think a point of view is effort. I think a point of view is effort, you know, and I think that because you're, you know, you're, you're creating something with, um, an intent, you know, an intent. I I think if you are driving, you throw your phone out the window, you know, and take a picture, it's like, okay, that's that, you know, I don't know if that's going to be like, oh, let's hold this up because it's, it's also like the why of this, maybe it does create a really cool blur, but it's a one-off. It's not like going to be something that you're like, oh, this is what this person is trying to say. This is what they're trying to communicate. But they I might think have a style. And- they might be now doing all their work with this sort of intentional camera. But motion. then that becomes the intent, right? That becomes mm-hmm. like, okay, this is my this is my vision. This is my blur. This is this, the pace of life is getting captured through this motion, whatever it is. <laughs> but it but also might like- not be unique. Like if everyone can do that so easily, there's nothing distinct about it from me. 
I haven't pioneered. I'm not seeing something in a new way. I'm not showing you something in a new way. I'm just, and that's the point of view. I found it's like if I go and recreate that Weston of the pepper, pepper 30. um, Mm -hmm. And maybe I, instead of using a pepper, I use a guac, an avocado. And, but Mm -hmm. I did the same kind of thing. I'm not really. I'm not really invent. I mean, yes, that's how I saw it, and it's it's all about me. But it's not new, right? Yeah. There's something about photography is about showing something new or fresh, and usually that's your point of view. It's unique. But if yeah. you're just copying something else, it's not quite as unique. Well, and you, I, I want to kind of turn the conversation a little bit. You okay. mentioned um, Kate Brakey before mm-hmm. that she come over. Is she the Kitsugi, um artist artist that you had talked about? Where no. she. She does these, um, she uses lots of materials. I think they tend to be sort of still life um, Mm -hmm. images that she's coloring. And the thing that I like, she had something called Orotone, I believe, where she's printing the photo on glass, which is hard to do. She's getting that done. And then on the back of it, where the glass is, she's putting on like silver, like gold leaf. And so now you're looking through the picture and you've got this gold behind it and you've done what I would say is Kintsugi. You've taken this very sort of uh, (laughs) mundane thing and you've gemified it, you know, (laughs) you've through a lot of very difficult work and gold, literally, you've made this thing into a precious object. And I think that is, that's that Kintsugi approach to photography, which I, I love. That's. So that is her. That's that's what Kate does. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think you, when when we talked about her previously, I think that's how you described her, and that really stuck with me on how you know on like kind of taking this idea of the the photograph, but then again bringing what you know the intent intent of mm-hmm. you know continuing to go, and that for you it crosses into art, of course, because it's mm-hmm. no longer just photography, mm-hmm. um, but still quite uh, just kind of a, a beautiful thing. Again, communicating. Yeah, um, these beautiful. It's like a gem. It's like a little jewel box. Yeah, that's what, that's what interesting process. Is to me. Yeah, and in fact, if you're in Santa Fe, if anyone's listening to this in Santa Fe, Kate still got her show up at Photo Eye, and I recommend oh, going and checking it out. Just uh, the glowingness of these orotones blows me away. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's made me want to explore that and. You know, I have my my haiku interests, of course, but I have lots of types of photography and that I'm interested in. I, I'd say the cracks are not haiku. You know, the sewed up cracks, the, the mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is is very unhaiku. You know, but but the kintsugi is nice. Kintsugi is that thing where you're, you know, like Kenro Izu, where he's printing and shooting with a giant camera and making this gorgeous platinum print of a pair. But yeah. there's so much work that's gone into it. He's really made the mundane special, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I like, I mean, I, I certainly like that stuff. But again, I, I go back, you know, I wrestle with this idea of whether photography is dead. You know, there's so much, you can create anything with the AI. And to me, I think the photography has to involve and this is where I'm always wrestling with what the definition is, but it it has to involve coalescence, you know, that that concurrence, that the things in the frame happened in the same time space. For some reason, that's, you know, you can change lots of things about exposure and stuff like that, but ultimately it doesn't work if I'm just putting things in the frame, even if I'm pretending like they really happened concurrently, if they didn't, it's not a photograph. Mm-hmm. You no, know, the photograph is capturing the concurrence 
of this thing, even if I'm doing sort of a long exposure and lots of weird things are happening, they're all happening in the same time. Yeah. And I'm seeing them and I'm creating it from what's really happening. And if you shift that burden into the dark room, into the computer where I'm assembling the concurrences, I'm making them fun because I've just thought of it would be cool to have an apple on, on Suzanne's head. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different thing. That is painting. Mm-hmm. It's painting with photographs. It's painting with light. It's, 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 it, but it's not for me strictly the kind of photography that I think ultimately really should be the definition of photography because everything else can with AI and Photoshop and stuff like that makes beautiful art and they're like paintings and they're like mm-hmm. sculpture, you know, they're creations that are definitely from the mind of the artist. And, totally, yeah, and yeah. I, and I love, and I love that. It to me, it's just not photography. It's just another thing. Not and even- I, I, mean, I, I guess I would. I think that we. That I agree with that. It is. It's. It, it's. It's additive. It's you know multimedia effectively. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in the strictest definition. So, sure, um, like sure. other collage, you're just using materials. Um, you bought a new camera, right? What did I do? You bought a new camera. Oh well, I bought an old new camera yeah an old new camera tell me what is an old new camera okay so here's i don't know it's people always ask me what you should get like they're looking for cameras what what should i get you know uh so i look at my own process like what why do i have what i have i have (laughs) i personally Uh have this this fuji xt2 which i have used for a couple bunch of years and it broke something broke in it and i needed to send it in like you got to send it to fuji and they're going to sit on that camera for a month or two sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of going a month or two without a camera was freaking me out. So I've been avoiding the repair. And so now I decide, yeah, okay, this is a great opportunity. I'll, I'll upgrade. I'll get the XT5. I'll get the new model. Like, <laughs> it's nice and to you're like, and then and you're, it's why nice do I feel like you didn't do this? When you start looking at it, it's like, okay, it's sort of expensive. It's not that expensive, but it's a, yeah. a fancy camera of some sort. But as I'm looking at the specs, it's like a tiny bit heavier it's a tiny bit bigger, you know, it's um, got more features, which are amazing, but the features are like, it does better video. It does better. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of stuff. And there's a real, you know, soul searching moment there, which is I don't need these things. And it's actually making my life a tiny bit worse. I'm spending a lot yeah. of money and it's a little bit less good than the one I have, which I know very well. And so you wrestle, am I being a Luddite? Yeah. Am I just being a boomer? And I want the old the old one. I don't want the fancy new one. But it's like, no, I have that camera in my hand all the time. And adding an ounce to it is going in the wrong direction. You know, I don't want to do that. So yes, I ended up buying a used body that was like a, a fraction the cost of the new one. But I'm yeah. so happy because it, it just... It goes with everything. It goes, and well, I mean, I <laughs> I, I hear you because I honestly sometimes you like find a pair of jeans and you're like, these are so great. I'm gonna buy two pairs. Yes. You know, or like, yes. shoot, it's just like I, I, they're wonderful. Like I just I don't need to rethink this decision. I I've you know I've already made the decision. Like I'm I'm good. Like this is how it is. Because actually, what makes me laugh about this is you did the same with your car. Okay. Right? Yes. Yes. And uh, and for the for our <laughs> our listening audience, about a month ago. Um, I was in a car accident late at night with a drunk driver in a stolen car and, you are so totaled, lucky, and it totaled my car. And um, I was, you know, I was fine. Everything was good. The guy got out of his car and then ran away because it was, yeah. stolen and he did not want to be arrested. But then the question is, okay, 
I know I moved here with that car from California. It's not really a good New Mexico car. I'll just get a mm-hmm. new car here. And I shopped for a while. And at the end of the day, it's like, I just wanted the old car back. And so yeah. here I am buying an old car that isn't even ideal for New Mexico, but I like, I did not. You just like it. I just like You already it. made the decision. Why do you make the decision? <laughs> my, ch- my children get very upset with me because I decorate my house here kind of like the way our house was decorated in California. They're like, you have a new house. Why don't you do get a new light fixture? Why are you getting the old light fixture? I was like, well, I, I worked very hard to find that light fixture and I still want it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, gonna- yeah. So I don't know. I, I think we all wrestle with being forced into upgrading when we don't want to versus, you know, the counter argument is that you don't want to be a Luddite and and just like stick using the old thing and and not modernize. He's more curmudgeon than Luddite. I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, okay, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I'm I do's I do's. Hey, I, I want to digress a bit just because I remember you told me you were traveling and will you t- t- explain oh, this yes. hat? What happened to your hat? Oh my goodness. So, I mean, f- for uh you know, I love hats. I really um, love hats. She I do so try. I do uh, wear a lot of hats because I you know, appreciate the sun protection. I maybe I'm part vampire or something, but I burn very easily. So, I especially if I'm going to be somewhere like Italy, um or, you know, especially, or Europe in the summer, I definitely want to make sure I have multiple hat options. Well, I was going to uh, Amsterdam and to Naples, uh, and I was going to be there for about two weeks, and I was trying to travel with a carry-on. So I had to limit my hats to only two, which was oh very my hard. God. I know, very, because, or like, hats. you know, brimmed brimmed hats and so the one actually i think there's a photograph of you borrowing it it's the yes. one that's like the pink kind of soft pink blush almost like a sort of a fedora style but um i looked not, good in that hat yeah i looked you good did look good in that hat Ruben. yes <laughs> <laughs> um the, maybe that'll be like a few a future birthday present if we can still track that one down yes. anyway gorgeous hat i think it's like rag and bone or something so it's not you know it's it's a, a well-made hat um that i appreciate anyway so bringing one of my favorites, I'm going to, uh, I'm in Amsterdam. I'm traveling to Rotterdam for the day, which is only a short train ride, probably about an hour train ride. Um, we're going to go see the Art Depot, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, that's like a whole side story. I'll just put that, you know, to the side. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, the Art Depot is phenomenal. So it's not a museum. It's actually where they store the art. And so what they've done in Rotterdam is because the museum's actually under construction. They have uh, for a quite a long time, and only nine percent of the art in the collection could actually be shown anyway. So they have to. All museums have an art depot, but what they've done in Rotterdam is they've actually designed the most beautiful building. It almost looks like Anish Kapoor um, style building, huge metal, like reflective sort of orby thing. Um, that uh, you go in and it looks as soon as you walk in, it almost looks like. I don't know the home of like a super villain in like <laughs> in like uh, Mission Impossible or something. It's all glass and steel, and you see art that is in these like chambers, um, and you see the front and the back of the art. And it's actually something you know that that we've talked about on this show was like the importance of like that you know the the, the is it the provenance or the provenance provenance right? I think it's the provenance. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's like basically where the, the, the art has gone, you know, over the years. So it's like, it's, it did a show at the Stedelijk. It has a kind of a stamp or a ink or a sticker. You also see the back of the art of whatever the artist wrote on it. Yeah. So it's like incredible, but you get to see both sides. And then there's all these like seven different rooms. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Definitely go to the art depot. It's fantastic. Um, but then we we're also going to a friend's, um, kind of beautiful spa and and store um, in Rotterdam that they'd open. So we were like, great, we're going to do this a whole day. We are in Amsterdam and it is so windy. I don't, and I don't even know if you remember there was, you know, when I was there, it was actually the day I was in, it was like the winds were so strong. Trees were blowing over. All the flights leaving Amsterdam were canceled, except like three because the planes were already there. My flight to Naples was one of those. Okay. Anyway, so, you know, two days before that, it is very windy already. And we're walking on the, um, kind of not on the track, but on like the uh, platform to get onto the train. And a couple of times my hat nearly blows off my head. So finally I was like, I'm just going to take this off. So I go to grab it. And just as I do, a huge gust of wind comes and like as it touches my fingers and blows off my head and blows down underneath the train. And I looked at my <laughs> friend Conroy and I was like, can I get it? He's like, the train's leaving in like five minutes. He's like, absolutely not. Because there's probably about 18 inches between the edge of the platform and then the train. And I could fit in. I could just jump down. The, the, the train tracks are probably, you know, four feet, four and a half feet down. I could jump down and then push myself back up, climb back out. <laughs> absolutely not. Conroy's horrified that I even suggest this. He's like, get on the train. The hat is gone. I'm like, Conroy, no. He's I like, love that. Come on, we're going. It looks so good. And I'm like... Happened. I kind of mourn it for like, you know, more than five minutes, I'll be yeah. honest, but I'll say five minutes because okay. um, I'm very stoic. Anyway, so we're on the train and I was like, oh, that's such a bummer. And I only packed two hats on this trip. Anyway, I let it go. We go to Rotterdam, see the Art Depot. It's phenomenal. We get massages and then we go shopping. So basically it's been a fantastic day. We come back and it's probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock. Um, we've been gone for seven hours, you know, ish, eight hours. Um, and we come back on the same track on the same platform. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm just, I want to just see how destroyed it is, how smashed it is. So I can close this chapter. Uh -huh. So I'm walking and like kind of looking underneath the train tracks, just waiting to see, you know, see a kind of crumpled mess disaster. And Conroy is walking closer to the edge. We're walking down and, uh, I'm like, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. And then Conroy's like, Seuss, look at this. And I, run back and the hat has it landed brimside down which meant it never got enough wind under to catch underneath the brim to toss it around when trains left and came left and came so it is totally protected it is fine it is pristine it's sitting on the ground next to the train and i i'm i don't even know what to do with my hands i'm just like oh my god and as i turn to look forward there's a woman Tinica is her name, just side note, mm -hmm. um, because she's amazing and my hero. She's like walking. She's probably like in her, um, probably in her 60s. She has these two walking sticks. It's very clear. She has just completed a very, very, very long hike. Her husband is picking her up. She's kind of got that dirt dust everywhere over her. She's wearing, you know, outdoor active clothing. And I am like, I just go for it. So I run up and I'm like, you know, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I, would it be possible? I dropped my hat. Um, it fell into the train tracks. Would it be possible that I could borrow your walking sticks to kind of like pick it up, basically like giant chopsticks, uh -huh. you know, get up. And she's like, 
kind of like, what also, who are you that is like talking so fast at me right now? Very <laughs> um, she doesn't say any of that, but I can tell that's what she's thinking. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, if we could wait until the train leaves, if you want. And then she starts to kind of be like, basically, she wants to get the fuck out of there. Like, uh, and I was like, just let me show you. Let me show you. So we go over and she's like, okay. And so um, Conroy is like, you should probably ask. There's a conductor right there. So uh, before, you know, before, you know, anyone gets in trouble. So I walk over to this conductor and it's this like beautiful um, black woman with like red lipstick and a red beret that has this like cool felt detail on it. And I was like, oh, she's going to get it. She's going to understand my story. <laughs> we are, we are the same. Um, but she's talking to this other guy who's taking forever. He's just like, I don't know what he's asking. I just have a quick question. Like, can I get that? But um She's talking and then he's kind of like pointing her the other way. We're probably like 10 feet away from Tinica and Conroy. And so um, he's pointing her the other way. She's looking down the track. So I kind of insert my body between like, you know, on where their conversation is. And then, you know, behind me is Tinica and Conroy. Tinica has laid down on the ground, uses her walking sticks and just plucks it right up on the first try. Wow. The hat is preserved the hat is protected the hat is like it is pristine i i don't actually think i could have left it anywhere else and had it be as protected (laughs) um so i i'll actually we can put that picture in the show notes of like it on the train tracks as well as it um in my hands i am i look like the goofiest christmas child ever where i'm just like yeah that's beautiful (laughs) that is a beautiful the Incredible. end of a great day, obviously the it, end of a, a powerful emotional day. Yes. Tinica, my hero. And did you, <laughs> and so of course where I just to bring it around, it's like, do you take, so when, when an event like that would happen to me, I would be document, I would be shooting it like the hat on the tracks and the people struggle. Like, does that even dawn on you to do, or you just want the hat so yeah. bad that you're not? No, either? no. I 100% took a picture of that hat on the tracks just because I was like, oh, this is the story. This is the last time I saw it. And then, you know, turn around and then see this woman with, you know, these sticks. And it was, I didn't have my camera out to be like, let me take a picture of her uh-huh. because it was like, I needed to act. I needed to get there. And so um, had I, had I not been asking a question, trying to ask the conductor a question, I 100% wish I would have been taking photos. And I kind of wish that my friend Conroy <laughs> or that someone took photos of, you know, Tinka laying on the ground on the platform and, and doing that, it would have been incredible, but. That's so cool. You know, it, yeah, no, absolutely. That's a beautiful story. It reminds me that I've always felt, I never thought it would be a great career, but it would be a fun project to be hired as like a, a personal paparazzi. Like when you're on your vacation, yeah, you don't want to be necessarily walking around with the camera. You want to have your own experience with your kids or your whatever, but you kind of want an artist following you around and shooting your vacation of you and your family. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if people do that, if that's a, a real career or not, but I always thought that would be fun to go just kind of, it, it appeals to my sort of voyeuristic sense of just like watching this family or watching these people do whatever they're doing in their life and trying to yeah. cover it. Yeah. Being as invisible as possible and still making like beautiful personal pictures. I, I don't know. That's what I think of when I think of you doing that. I wish I was there sort of no, stalking around to, to, to photograph because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a great moment, you know? It was, it was, it was an incredible moment. I mean, and just a, a, a great overall, everything was, there was lots of kind of fun adventures, but that was just one of the truly surprising and shocking things where I just felt like, I felt so lucky and also 
in a way it felt like the universe provides, you know, just. I, I wow. love that. That's a nice the moral. I don't know what the moral is. Just roll with it, you know? Yeah. I guess. I, I would love to talk to Kate Reiki, Um, because I mean, I think that could be interesting of just hearing more about her work and her process. Um, I'd also love to be able to, especially if she still has a show going on in Santa Fe right now, that could be really fun and timely to try to, um, Talk cool. to her about her work and the show. How does she choose pieces for the show? How does she actually decide what to do next? How does she know when she's done? I mean, I think that's <laughs> kind of interesting of using, you know, photography almost as the base for what she does next with a piece is because there's this kind of open edit, you know, like, you know, like, like, like other maybe more traditional art. It's when do you stop for design? It's clear. It's like you stop when it's due. I actually kind of think it's similar to what my mother's a painter. And so I kind of look to what, you know, you say too about you'll revisit older pieces that maybe you didn't love in the beginning. And then you just, then you kind of like, actually, I do like this a lot more, but it it wasn't the thing that where you were at that time in your life, then Mm -hmm. you, it resonated with you as much as maybe it, it, it does. It does later for whatever reason. And my mother will say the same thing. It's like, she'll have some paintings that she's like, I, it doesn't feel finished, but I don't know what I want to do next. And so she'll kind of put it aside and then she'll go back to it. And, and yes. Okay. Now, you know, this is what it needed. I needed <laughs> perspective and then, and it's done. Yes. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, okay. Lovely, lovely chatting. Of course. It was so good. Well, hopefully um, to our, our listeners, we will not make you wait months before another episode. Although I agree. Uh, it's cool. People still listen to the episodes, you know, even <laughs> in our, in our lax um, scheduling here, um, we still seem to have a, uh, a small and disturbed following. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I mean, there's so many more photographers and creators that I can't wait to interview. So I'm good. Uh, I'll get Gino. I'll get Kate. I'll see if these guys will come on. I think Gino would be fun too. He's like, oh, a, absolutely. He teaches all over. Teaches a lot of stuff. He's helped me uh, in printing, and and so yeah, I think we'll we'll do better. I think the the Santa Fe workshops have so many fan, fantastic uh, instructors. Maybe we should avail ourselves of that uh, group of photographers and sort of um, make them introduce them to our, our listeners. I think that'd be uh, that'd be wonderful. Well, cool. I okay, I will wrap this up. Our show is recorded and produced in Santa Fe and San Francisco. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos and post comments. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever service you're listening to us on now and leave reviews and ratings, especially if you like us especially you know we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word so if you know someone who might get something from us send them a link thanks to mitchell foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us we appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about until next time